0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 12. As you come to him the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are a people of God Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us.
1: Rob, uh, thanks very much for reading for us. We're going to pray and uh, then have a think about that Bible passage. And uh, something else that you might like to do in preparation for our next few moments together is to dig out the, uh, the handout, uh, which will give you some idea where we're going uh, for the next few moments. Let's firstly pray together. Heavenly Father, we've uh, prayed that uh, your Holy Spirit would come and put strength in every stride, uh, giving grace to us for all the hurdles of life and that we may run with faith to win the prize that you have won for us and we pray that uh, these next moments together would strengthen us to keep doing that so by your spirit speak to us we pray and strengthen us in every way in Jesus name amen Well, welcome. And uh, for those of you who've uh, not been here these last weeks, you won't know that over these last weeks, uh, we've been thinking about what it means to be church. Uh, We began six weeks ago by playing that word association game. Uh, It's a bit cheesy. Uh, I don't particularly like the game, but I asked you to humor me. Do you remember I said some words and asked you to think of the first thing that came into your mind? Uh, You know, something like the word planet. What's the first thing? Is it moon or... uh, sorry what was that oh I thought I had a word there great well whatever it was solar system so uh, six weeks on let me uh, now play the game again with you and say church first thing that comes into your mind well I hope after the past six weeks it's not a building I hope as I say church you think at least the people of God Or even better, God's people gathered around God's word through Christ in the power of the Spirit. That would be a good thing to think of. I say church, or perhaps this: a people united in Christ, diverse yet celebrating, accepting each other's differences. A loving people who encourage each other to keep going in Christ, forgiving one another because we're not perfect. That would be quite interesting if you uh, played that uh, game at home and you said that. But uh, the important thing is to realise there's not a mention of bricks and mortar. The church is not a building, at least not a physical building. It's certainly not the building we're sitting in right now. Now that said, we are the people of God and we are being built into something. The new children's song that we've been singing teaches it brilliantly. Uh, The words are on the sheet if you want to look at them later. God, you used to dwell in a house among his people, but now he has a home that's better than the first. It doesn't look like a building with a steeple, now he's living in the people of the church. And that is exactly what we see here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to the Lord Jesus, the living stone, the one who's rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, as you come to him, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ you see it's there it's just what we've been singing god used to dwell in a house in the old testament it was first well it was more a tent it was called the tabernacle but then the temple and the language here in verse 5 is the language of the old testament temple a house a priesthood sacrifices now crucially the temple was the place and it was the only place designated by god where people could go to meet the one and true living God. And he could only be met through sacrifice. You had to make a sacrifice for your sin in order to become able to come into the presence of God. Today, there is no temple. It was raised to the ground in AD 70. And uh, really, all that remains of the Jewish temple now is one huge wall. There's a few other buildings. If you've been there, you'll know that. One huge wall, which we today call the Wailing Wall, Just a wall on that site. There are no priests, no sacrifices offered for sin. And that is not just a strange quirk of history, but designed by God himself because the temple isn't needed any longer. Jesus Christ is the temple. That's how he described himself in John chapter two. I put the reference uh, on the handout if you're following along. And so Jesus, from his own lips... Tells us that he is the primary fulfillment of the temple. I'm uh, reading through the Bible in a year this year. I don't do it every year. When I do do it, I tend to do it on a leap year because it gives me one more day to get through it. So I'm doing it this year. And so far, I've read much about the tabernacle, and I will soon be reading a lot more about the temple and the sacrificial system. And as a Christian with the New Testament controlling my reading all the time, I'm asking myself, what does this teach me about Jesus? So when I read about the temple, I'm thinking about Jesus as the only place we can go to to meet our God. When I read about the sacrifices that were made in the temple, I consider how they teach me more about Jesus, the one perfect sacrifice for sin. Uh, you can see that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ died for sins once for all to bring us to God. And when I read as I'm reading through the Bible about the Levitical priesthood it makes me think about Jesus who is the great high priest. Today we don't need a temple or priests or sacrifices because it has all been fulfilled in Christ. So here the implications of this this building is not God's house when you walk in you are not walking into God's house. Uh, that's one of the uh, real misunderstandings of some churches unfortunately they put across their uh, across their uh, door uh, this is the house of god it isn't the temple is the house of god not a church building we don't make sacrifices anymore so that is not an altar please don't call it the altar it is a table And I am not a priest, well, I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but not in the Old Testament sense of God's people having to come to me in order to get to God. Jesus is the perfect and most complete fulfillment of that whole Old Testament sacrificial system. But there is a secondary and important New Testament understanding of the temple today, and we see it here in verse five. We, The church, God's people today, are being built into God's house. Where, as we sang in the children's song, brick after brick, person by person, God is building us into a temple. Verse 4, as we come to him, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, so verse 5, we are being built into a spiritual house. Now that is fascinating we are the temple not this building but we the people of god are the temple of god where god by his holy spirit dwells and this is remarkable when you begin to think about it and tease out the implications the temple is the only place where god is met Yes, supremely in Jesus. In Jesus, we meet God through sacrifice. But here's the thing. We, the people of God, are to be the temple today, the place where people meet God in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not gonna go into all of this, but if you look at verses uh, uh, six, seven, and eight, you see that Jesus, you see, is the cornerstone on which the temple is built. He is the the foundation on which everything else uh, is built. But do you see how important this makes church it's a staggering thought with some huge implications now let me point out three for you here every christian must be part of the church the people of god see i meet christians who sit very lightly to the church these christians say i have a personal relationship with god i don't need to be part of the church Now, clearly, you're not part of God's church if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can turn up here every Sunday and not be part of the spiritual temple that God is building. That's true. But be sure of this. The New Testament knows nothing of a real Christian who is not part of church, of God's people. It is very clear here, verse four, as you come to Jesus, so verse five, you are being built into a spiritual house and you can't be that on your own. Brick after brick being added to the Lord's building project. Whoever saw a house with one brick in it? Not a house, it's a brick. So here's the uh, second implication, which is huge. The church is where the action is now look I can imagine somebody being here for the first time I don't know whether anybody's here for the first time I've never been to church before and you're it's great you've come but you might be thinking this doesn't look like where the action is it's been okay so far but there's not a lot of action going on so you've got to stay with me for a minute biblically the temple is the only place where we can meet God Uh, The Old Testament bricks and mortar temple is gone because people meet God in Jesus Christ. He's the only place where we can meet God. He's the only sacrifice who can take away sin and so give us access to God. And where will we meet Jesus Christ? Well, of course, in his word. And where do people go to understand God's word? The church, God's people. So do you see how important the church is and why the church is where the action is? It's because of this. We live in a world where people don't know God. We live in a world where people are desperate for meaning and direction and wanting to know what life is all about. We live in a world where people are cut off from God, as it says in Ephesians, without God and without hope in the world. Watch the television news. Listen to the politicians. Ask your friends and colleagues serious questions about life And desperately, we discover that no one knows what life is about. No one knows where they're heading. No one knows the point of it all. This week, we've seen more terrorist attacks in Turkey uh, with uh, global terrorism and global warming. And once again, as teetering on the edge of another global economic crisis, we face problems that are too big for us to solve. Even as you get all the, all the politicians together, we live in a desperate, dying, hopeless world. But the answer is here, in God's word. And where will these people who are desperately looking, in the dark, looking for the, the lights to the answers of the problems of the world, where will they find and understand God's word among God's people as we sit under his word, this is where the action is. The church is not a sideshow. It looks like it, but it's not an insignificant thing. The church is not God's hobby that he does on a wet Sunday afternoon because you know he's got to run the world the rest of the time, but I'll do that on Sundays. The church is at the heart of God's plan to take the gospel to a dying world. And we used to... uh, see it quite acutely when I worked in London at All Souls Langham Place where the church building is right next door to the BBC. If you watch the one show uh, during the week you will often see uh, All Souls Langham Place building right next to uh, the BBC building. So there we were right next door to one of the most influential broadcasting agencies on the planet And the BBC would send correspondents and reporters and cameramen all over the world to search for the most significant news items and then beam them around the world within minutes of things happening. And yet, right under the nose of the BBC, they failed to see the very thing that God was doing, building his temple brick after brick, right next door to them. It's because the church seems insignificant. It is of huge importance. It's what God is about. It's where people meet him on a few occasions people have said to me oh you're very low church do you have heard that expression they say that because i don't wear robes or walk behind a cross at the beginning of a service or swing a smoking thurible during the service and so they say you're very low church and on occasions when it's been appropriate and when i've been bold enough i've replied no no i'm very high church i have a very high view of the church here's the third implication of all of this uh, we must be the church we should be. Uh, you see, if this is true, if people are going to come to us to meet the living God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they come, they've got to see something that is spectacularly wonderful. And we see all this in verse 5. We are to be the church we're to be. Verse 5 we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. There are basically two types of sacrifices in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Again, I've written them down on the, uh, the bottom of page one of the handout. There are sacrifices for sin and sacrifices of thanksgiving. The first, sacrifices for sin, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We no longer need to offer sacrifices for sin. That's why the communion table, as I've already said, is a table. It is not an altar. Please don't call it the altar anymore if you're in the habit of doing that. We have a meal where we commune together. We don't offer sacrifices for sin anymore because Jesus is the one perfect sacrifice. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus died once for all. So the sin sacrifice is fulfilled and complete in Christ. But there's another type of sacrifice in the Old Testament and that is sacrifice of thanksgiving. And we can and indeed we should still offer sacrifices of thanksgiving as new testament christians that doesn't mean bringing stuff to god we don't bring him you know fruit and nuts and berries he doesn't need any of that we give ourselves our lives as sacrifices of thanksgiving to him not to try and get right with god that was all done through jesus christ now we offer ourselves in thanksgiving for all that he's done for us no need to turn it up but look listen to how uh, paul uh, writes it in uh, romans chapter 12 verse 1 he says in view of god's mercy after 11 chapters of the most remarkable theology paul says in view of all that jesus has done for us all that god has done for us in christ i'm looking at the cross when i'm pointing over there in view of god's mercy offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god She's so thankful for the gospel, for Jesus' death for us. We offer our whole lives to him. Uh, this coming Easter weekend, as we spend, uh, I think the way Tim put it, you know, the most important weekend of the year for us. He's absolutely right. As we think of the death of the Lord Jesus, uh, as we think of his substitutionary death on our behalf, as we remember his remarkable bodily resurrection from the dead, we should end the weekend thankful wanting to give our lives to him out of thankfulness for all that he's done wow that's been my prayer over these last few weeks i've been preparing for easter that we all of us me included would be thankful and thankful lives are then transformed lives in the power of the holy spirit we'll live the sort of life that we've been considering these last weeks lives where we forgive each other because we look at the cross and say jesus forgave me for all my sin i am a huge sinner And he forgave me, even though day after day I rebel against him, I can forgive others. We will love each other because we'll look at the cross and we'll say, that's how much he loves me. Even though I don't deserve any of it, I'm going to love other people. We'll encourage each other to keep going because we'll look at the resurrection. We think there's life beyond the grave. This is absolutely magnificent. I want to keep going and I want to encourage others to keep going so they get there, so they enjoy eternity with the Lord Jesus we will give each other ourselves to each other as we look at the cross and we say, "Jesus gave himself everything he had for his people." Now that 's my response to you. We will put others first, just as He put others beyond, before himself. Do you see the point? And all this for the glory of God, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, and very specifically, as the temple is the place where people can come and meet God through Jesus Christ in his word, we'll be doing all of that that I've just been saying, loving one another, forgiving one another, we'll be doing it all that people may come to know Jesus Christ themselves so that as they come among us, they will see something that is spectacularly different. And that is what we see in verses 9 to 12, and we're over the page on the handout um, if you're interested see, verse nine, we are a chosen people. Chosen by God, he has chosen us. But what has he chosen us for? Well, he's chosen us for a reason. As we read on, we see what that is for. Verse nine, he's chosen us as a royal priesthood. I've already touched on this, but I'm going to expand on it now. The priesthood in the Old Testament were the people who stood between God and people. So you would come to the temple and you would need to present your sacrifice, and it would be the priest who would present the sacrifice. And the priest would stand in a particular place that even um, demonstrated that they were between you and God, in that the the Holy of Holies would have been behind the priest, uh, where God was, as it were, um, symbolically specially present, and they would stand making the sacrifice, cutting the throat of a lamb or a bull or whatever, blood everywhere to show how terrible sin is, but they would be, as it were, between the people and God. Now, we don't have a Levitical priesthood today because Jesus is the great high priest. He is not only the, the temple, but he's the priest and the sacrifice. He's all of those things. But he stands between us and God. We come to God through him. He is the bridge through whom we are brought to God. So as the vicar, as an ordained minister in the Church of England, I am not a priest Uh, don't call me that you don't have to come to me or through me to find access to god you come through jesus christ i'm i'm not the way you come to jesus or to god you have access directly to god through jesus so as the vicar i'm not a priest but as the people of god together we are a royal priesthood how does that work well we stand between god and unbelievers as we tell them the gospel, as we present to them Jesus Christ. In that sense, we are standing between uh, other people and God, not because we're the way through which they come, but we present the gospel to them. Where do I get all that from? Well, come with me to Romans chapter 15. We're gonna come back to 1 Peter, but please, I think this is worth seeing. Romans chapter 15 and verse 16. I think this is the most helpful verse to understand how we are a royal priesthood. Um, this is the most helpful verse in the New Testament. It's page 1141, Romans chapter 15, verse 16. And if you have a church Bible, page 1141, it's the, um, the very bottom right-hand corner of, uh, Romans, uh, of page 1141, Romans chapter 15, verse 16. And we'll have to flip over as we read it. But you see in verse 16... Paul describes himself as, do you see it there, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, here's the point, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. That's the priestly duty of all believers, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. And that is how people who who, who are at the moment separate from God come to have access with God, not through us, but through us presenting Jesus Christ to them. In that sense, we are a royal priesthood, as we turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. We're a chosen people, chosen for what, what job? To be a royal priesthood, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people who don't know him. And as we do that, we are to be, verse 9, a holy nation. All these expressions come from the Old Testament, I, I've put Uh, the references down there on the sheet to be holy means to be a people who are distinctive in the world and put all that together and you see our task there in verse 9 is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light see that is what we're here for to tell people what god has done for us we were people who were in the dark now we're in the light See, isn't verse 9 every real Christian's story? I certainly my story. When I was 19, I was doing okay in life. I'd stumbled into a good job, and I was told I had a great career ahead of me. At 19, I was earning enough money to be able to buy my own flat. I had a lot going for me, apparently, but I didn't have a clue what life was about. I was completely in the dark. I had gathered by that stage that life wasn't about being successful and accumulating stuff because I had stuff and it didn't satisfy me deep down. I'd worked out one aspect of what life wasn't about, but I had no idea what life was about. I was in the dark. Only when my brother brought the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to me, suddenly I was in the light. And when that happened, I wanted to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus It was such good news i had to share it because that's what we do with good news verse 9 i had to declare the praise of him who called me out of darkness into light and here in verse 9 declaring god's praises is not about singing although it will be that at times but this really is about speaking about jesus christ look as we draw our series on the church to a close be sure This is an essential part of what the church is and is for. We are here to tell other people about Jesus. Uh, Look, almost all all Christians find evangelism difficult. I know that. Uh, We're fearful of rejection, uh, being rejected by our friends, by colleagues thinking we're stupid, all of that. And interestingly, rejection is the wider context of this letter. Peter was writing to Christians who were being persecuted and rejected just because they were Christian. This is why actually in verse 4 he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God. He said, you come to one who was rejected but he was chosen. Oh, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. Yes, you are the chosen people of God but you will be rejected. So he was writing to Christians who were being persecuted and rejected just because they were Christian. And when that happens, what's our temptation to keep quiet, isn't it? It's exactly my temptation when my mates give me a hard time for being a Christian, I don't say anything. But we've been chosen for a reason. To declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into light. It is just the kind thing to tell other people who are in the dark how they can come into the light as well. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage us in the task of evangelism. Don't give up praying for your friends and neighbours and colleagues and family who don't know about Jesus. Don't give up telling these dear people around you about the Lord Jesus. And as we close, three things that we must do if we're going to be effective in this task of proclaiming the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus. Very, three very simple things, but they all need to go together. Again, they're on the sheet, and you'll see we're almost there. Firstly, we must speak out. We've already seen that in verse nine. We must declare with our lips the praises of God secondly we must be distinctive verse 9 we are a holy nation verse 9 we're to verse 11 we're to abstain from sinful desires that means we we can't live as the world lives we have to be holy distinctive and verse 12 part of uh, thirdly the uh, third thing we must live good lives verse 12 we must live good lives among unbelievers And I'm gonna say all those three things need to come together for us to be effective in bringing people to Jesus Christ. We must speak out, we must be distinctive, we must live good lives. When we're fearful that we'll be rejected, we'll be tempted not to speak out for Jesus. Many years ago, um, I led a church weekend away. This was before I was here. Uh, I led this church weekend away for people to think about what it meant to be Christians in their workplace, And during that weekend, one man said, in fact, he said it to me, but he said it to uh, the whole group that we were in at the time. I've worked in the same place for the past 23 years and no one knows I'm a Christian. I've never told them. Well, I was astounded. We had coffee after the, the, you know, in the coffee time and we chatted more about it. Uh, This man was fully involved in his church. He was a member of the church council. He was part of a small group. He could tell you how and when he became a Christian wasn't that he wasn't a Christian he just never told his colleagues about his faith in Jesus Christ and he said to me when we were chatting i try to live a good life and i hope that will make a difference well good on good on him for trying that but i want to say i had to say to him and i want to say to you that sounds good but it doesn't declare god's praises living a good life let me tell you why if you live a brilliant life you will be praised not god if you haven't told people you're a Christian. People will say, what a brilliant person you are. And it's great that you're living a good life, but you won't praise God, will it? You'll get all the praise. And indeed, I want to say this, even if you tell people you're a Christian and live a good life, actually God then will not be praised either because people will conclude that you're living a good life to get to heaven that doesn't glorify god that's not the gospel that says our god is no different from all the other so-called gods god just expects us to earn our way to heaven so you're trying your best and living a good life that's not the gospel doesn't bring praise to god she makes god sound totally the opposite to how he is he's a gospel of a god of grace who gives freely so you see even living a good life and saying you're a christian isn't enough we have to speak out the gospel for god to be praised That said, some people are very bold in speaking out for Jesus, but their lives are not distinctive. So they don't abstain from sinful lives. I'm very conscious of this. Well, right across the the, the Christian world in the West, but not least of all with students. So we've got lots of students who are very keen to speak out for Jesus, but their lives are not distinctive. Uh, They don't, as it says in, in verse 11, abstain from sinful desires. Uh, They are still, um, uh, sexually, as involved as uh, as any unbelievers. Uh, They still find going out and getting drunk acceptable. Well, how does that bring glory to God? They're speaking out for Jesus, but living a life that is no different from the world. Uh, And equally, more than that, we mustn't just speak out for Jesus, and abstain from stuff, we need to do verse 12. We need to live a good life. Otherwise, people will call us hypocrites. When I worked in the newspaper business, everyone knew I was a Christian. I tried to tell them the gospel if they'd listen, and I tried to abstain from sinful living, verse 11. But I really don't think, looking back, that I lived a very good life. See, looking back, I reckon I gave the impression that Christianity was all about what you shouldn't do. Ah, that's partly true, verse 11. It is important to abstain from sinful desires, but verse 12, live such a good life among the pagans, among the unbelievers. Live such a good life that they will want to become Christians. Looking back on my newspaper days, I don't think that I lived that kind of good life, being sympathetic and loving and compassionate and humble i don't think i made the gospel of jesus christ very attractive at all told people about jesus and then lived the kind of life that just kept saying all the things you can't do do you see how being an effective gospel witness needs all those three things together we need to speak out for jesus we need to live a distinctive life but we also need to live a good life And if we'll do all three, people will be, I think, attracted to the Lord Jesus because he can bring them out of the darkness they're in into wonderful light. Along with everything else we've thought about in these last six weeks, evangelism is a crucial part of what it means to be church. It's not the only thing. If this is the only talk you've come to, uh, let me commend to you the previous five so that you can say this isn't the only thing we're about but it must be part of what we're about. Well, we can begin our evangelism this week. Invite your colleagues and neighbours and friends and family to the Easter celebration here on Sunday at four o'clock and six o'clock next week. Whether you're able to bring friends along or not, we've already invited somebody who says no, but, uh, you know, we're inviting. But... um, uh, whether they come or not come yourself this weekend so that you're thrilled afresh by the glorious gospel that brings us out of darkness into light that has been my prayer for us as a church family so that the other side of easter we'll be wanting to give our lives as spiritual sacrifices ready to tell the gospel to everyone we meet see that is what we're trying to do here as we plant churches and train leaders and grow forward church We want to plant churches all over this city so that everyone is within a few miles of a vibrant living church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed clearly and lived attractively. Because desperately, friends, that is not the case in many places that call themselves churches. The gospel is not being proclaimed. That's why we're about uh, planting churches. And if we're going to do that, we've got to train leaders who can lead those churches and we need to keep building this church, taking the gospel to the thousands of people in forward who don't yet know Jesus Christ. So when I say church, what do you think of? Think of an exciting, dynamic, living community of people who are being spirit- built into a spiritual house, who are offering themselves as a living sacrifice to God. And then I think you'll be really excited to be part of it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you very much that uh, in the simple children's song that we've been singing, we've been hearing the most profound things. That you used to dwell in a house, uh, a physical temple among your people, But now you have a home that's better than that. You're building your people. We thank you that over these weeks we've been able to think about what that means for us, what we ought to be. And we pray now that you'd help us to be what we should be. We recognise from last week that's not going to mean we'll always get it right. But we do pray that we'd be striving on wanting more and more people to know the Lord Jesus wanting them to come out of darkness into light, wanting them to have the great hope that we have of eternal life beyond the grave. And so we pray you'd strengthen us to be what we should be and give us courage to be all that we should be away from this place uh, in our normal situations day by day. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.